If you're visiting with us, we have been going through the life of Peter. We have started by going through the Gospels and the book of Acts and looking at the person of Peter and getting to know him a little bit. Then this last couple of weeks, we have been diving into the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter. As Peter is writing to an area of northern Turkey where churches have been planted, um, and it's just prior to a massive persecution that will come out of Rome under a man named Caesar Nero. As Peter is writing, he has been writing about different things. He's been writing about their salvation, about their identity. And last week, as we entered the passage, he started to talk to us about suffering. Now, suffering is not one of those topics we spend lots of time on, but Peter is aware that this is coming. In fact, this will eventually lead, as we get to the end of 2 Peter, to literally Peter and his wife's death, as, as Nero has them both put to, put to death. But Peter is looking at suffering and asking us as Christians to uh, walk into that suffering and live in that suffering. Now, this morning as I was preparing, or this week as I was preparing, um, I was reminded of an old story that took place in 2012. I don't know if you remember this event. It's called the Sandy Hook Elementary School Shooting. Horrible, terrible event. Where a, a young man named Adam Lanzar walked in with guns into this elementary school and started shooting. By the time he was finished, he would have killed 20 children between the ages of six and seven, and then six staff who worked in that school. When the, the police came in, in response to the crisis, uh, he just turned his gun on himself and, and killed himself. This traumatized not only the town and the school and the parents, but it traumatized the nation. In fact, there were ripples that went actually throughout the world. How can this happen? Why would this kind of thing happen? Now, I don't know if you know the, the, the person's name, Philip Yancey. He's a, he's a Christian writer, uh, extremely gifted young man, or old man now, he's 72 now, but uh, he, he was gifted, and, and at that time, Phil Yancey was writing a book, The Question That Never Goes Away, Why? Well, as Phil has experienced previously in his, in his, his ministry time, he, he gets called into these kinds of situations. So although this happened on December 14th, the, the town would wait and have a very dark Christmas as a whole community trying to make sense of, of, of the, the trauma and the, and the pain of this event. And then Mike, or Phil Yancey was called in on the 28th of December. He was given a topic. The topic was, where's God when bad things happen? Can you imagine walking into that community and trying to give answers to traumatize parents and relatives and friends is where is God when bad things happen? Now, Phil actually had been working on this his whole life. Phil grew up in a, in a Baptist preacher's home. 
He, uh, when he, he and his, um, his little brother were just wee little, and when his dad was 23 years old, and, and Philip and his brother, I think it was Marshall, um, were in ministry, pastoring, and then suddenly dad came down with polio. Within two weeks, their dad was dead. Suddenly, their mother and these two boys had to deal with the trauma of losing their dad totally unexpectedly, out of the blue. And, and where is God? Philip's mother was not well emotionally, and this seemed to push her over an edge, and she became incredibly physically and verbally abusive to these little boys. She would go to church on Sunday morning and teach Sunday school to kids and be this perfect person and go home and turn into a monster. And so Phil grew up not only with the grief of his, of his uh, dad's loss, but also the trauma continually from his mother. But that wasn't even the end of the story. He grew up, he got married, he started to become a well-known a writer, and then he was in a car accident. The car flipped over five times. By the time they got him out, literally his back was broken. They ran him into the hospital to emergency, and the doctor right away came up to him and gave him his cell phone, and this is what he said. He says, we've ordered a plane to, fly, to, to take you to such and such city, and there's surgeons waiting for you, but we don't know how bad this break is, and, and if it starts to bleed, you'll be dead within minutes. So here's your phone. Go say goodbye to those you love just in case. Can you imagine that phone call? Where's God when bad things happen? This morning, I want, I want to take you to a slightly different place because sometimes we have traumas that happen, accidents, uh, bad people, things like that. But what I want to talk about today is what happens when you as a Christian suffer because you're a Christian. In, in this passage, I don't know if you heard Dick say it, and I'll quote the King James Bible to start with. He, it, Peter says this word. He says, beloved, do you not think it's strange? In the new NIV it says, do you not, are you not surprised concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though something strange is happening to you? Have you ever, have you ever had to struggle as a Christian Maybe it's been a, a friend has asked you hard questions about how come this thing is happening to me or how come this thing is happening to you? Have you ever been picked on because you hold to a truth and a faith that comes out of the scripture and the rest of the world around you doesn't? How do we respond when we are attacked because we are followers of Jesus. Now, it's interesting because Scripture said in John 16, it says, in, my, in, in this world, you will have trouble, okay? But have you ever had trouble because you were a follower of Jesus Christ? Peter is writing to this topic today, and I want to take you a little bit deeper. Now, I got to warn you. Um, I, I know some of my sermons are light and fluffy, well, maybe a few of them. But um, 
this one's really intense. In fact, I have struggled all week with this. Peter, it's like each week he gets more and more intense. And this week it was like, how do we get through this one? What happens when, when, when we are suffering because of our faith? Now, Peter starts off with an interesting verse. In fact, it, it's, it's, it's one of those verses that literally I consider just staying on this one verse the whole sermon. He starts off and it sets a tone. And if you want something to work about, work through this, this coming week, this is the verse to look at. Listen to Peter as he starts. He, 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 he's been talking about suffering, and then he says, Therefore, since Christ studied, suffered in his body, arm yourself. Now, that word arm is a military word. It, have you ever seen a, a soldier putting on, on all of his equipment? And, and, and nowadays, if you watch soldiers, they got all of this stuff. They have, they have flak jackets. They have, they have pouches. They have this kind of gun and that kind of gun and this knife and all of the As they're preparing to go into a battle, he says, dress yourself, arm yourself. Put on your military equipment just since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same, hear this word, attitude. I want you, as, he, as Peter is saying, I want you to look at the suffering that you're entering with, with the same attitude, the same heart, the same thinking, the same logic, the same approach as Jesus did as he went through all of his suffering. Several weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And we watched Christ go through incredible suffering. And, and, and Peter says, I want you to have that same attitude. Put it on. Dress up with it. Put on that attitude because he or she who was suffering in his or her body is done with sin. Now that last phrase, it was like, what? Where did that come from, Peter? What are you talking about? But here's what Peter is saying. He's saying in short, he says, if you are a Christian and you are going through a time or season or a period or an event of suffering related to your belief in Jesus Christ, related to your holding to God's truth, I want you to have this same attitude because as you hold to that attitude, as you continue on through that suffering, what will happen is you will be pushing aside, you will be, you'll be quenching, you'll be stopping the sin that so easily besets us. Now, does that mean we're going to get rid of all those sin? If we suffer, the sin is gone? No, 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 no. Paul is talking about this. He's saying, every one of you and I have sin in our life. We will have sin until we die, until we step into heaven. But a change has taken place in your life and my life as, as, as we have Christ enter that life. You see, before we became saved, before we asked Jesus Christ into our heart and life, sin reigned. It had control. It had authority in your life and my life. And we were kind of like slaves. If it would snap its whip, we would do it. But when you became saved, when you asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life, that changed because it no longer has authority over you. It no longer reigns in your body, although you can still choose to sin. And Peter's saying, this is what you need to hear. If you allow the same attitude as Jesus Christ 
in your life, when suffering comes, sin will not be as powerful or as controlling as you've experienced it previously. Because if you're willing to suffer for truth, you will stand against sin. Now, that's a little compact of what he's telling us. But I, I want you to, with that understanding, saying, I'm going to put on the armor the attitude of Jesus when I walk through this deep, dark time. He's saying, this is what I want you to remember. And he starts off in actually a very strange place, but actually a fascinating place. He goes back in your life to before you were saved. And on one side of, of, of the column, he, he says this. He says, do you remember before you asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life? He said, do you remember when 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 sin reigned in your life, the things of this world were in control of you. And you lived, and using Peter's word, you lived like a pagan. You lived like an unbeliever. You lived like a sinner. And then he lists all kinds of things that sinners do. He said, you live in debauchery. He loves these big words in this passage. I don't know why. You and he says, you, you live with, for lust. What you want, you want, and you want. You, you live for drunkenness. You, you have these addictions in your life that control you. He says, you, orgies. He's talking about immorality. And, and carousing, going over a line when you know you shouldn't go over a line. He says, even, even your heart, your heart used to worship these various idols, detestable idols. And, and, and you were flooded with all these sins, and it controlled you. Do you remember that, Jesus said? Peter's writing to you. Do you remember before you were saved? Now, a lot of people who lived in, in that world, and even today live in that world, say, well, it wasn't that bad, was it? Yeah, actually it is, from God's point of view. But then Peter says, now remember what happened when you asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life. You left that world. You left that lifestyle. You started to say, I will no longer live for evil earthly desires. I will live for the will of God. And, and, and he contrasts how the shift will take place that I used to live for myself and my lusts and my desires and my wants and, and all of those things. And I've now become a new person. That I'm putting aside sin, I'm putting aside evil, I'm putting aside listening to all of the things of this world. And I'm listening for the will of God so that I may do it. And then Peter adds this insight. He says, because you have shifted, the world will heap its anger and rejection upon you. Now, I talk about this lots, but I don't know if, 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 if 20 years ago or 30 years ago, if I was preaching this passage, I would see it as clearly as I do today. As I look at this world, and if you do not agree with what our world says politically correct, if, what we, if we don't agree with their lifestyle or their values, they will attack. We're living in this world that has these two extremes that, that either you agree with them or you are their enemy. And Peter saw that 2,000 years ago, that that was a reality. And that is still a reality today. 
And so, and so Peter is looking at us and saying, one of the reasons we are suffering is that we are standing against the things of this world. We have changed. We are a different person. We have Christ in us. We have our sins forgiven. We have our place in, in eternity. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we're feeding our lives on the Word of God. And that changes everything. It also will bring the hate, the attack, the suffering from those in this world. So he partly kind of starts to ask that question. And then he moves to an interesting place that I want these, even this week, for you to think about a little bit. He starts talking about you and I participate in his Christ's suffering. That there, are, there, there comes a season in our life that because we hold to, to Jesus Christ, because we hold to his truth, because we try to emulate his values and beliefs and, and, and actions, we will come under attack. And he, he will use different words to try to explain them. He will talk about how some of us are under what he calls fiery or painful trials. You ever had someone you really love reject you because of your faith? He, he says, we will live in a setting where we'll be insulted. Have you ever heard people insult the name of Jesus and all of those who follow him? He says, you will be shamed. They, they will say, well, you're really not loving or you're really not accepting or you're, you're really not in, in, in encompassing what our world is like and you'll hear them put you down. And he says, you will be reproached. Now, I had to look up reproach. Peter's using all these big words. Reproach is disappointment or disapproval. They will look at you and they will hate you. Peter says, this will happen if you hold on to Christ. Now, none of us want this. None of us, uh, none of us choose to be rejected by others. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. But Peter says, this is where I want you to stand. I want you to hold to Christ and all that he teaches and values. And he says this, and this will blow some of you away. He says, rejoice. Be overjoyed. Praise God when these kind of things start to happen to you. He says, and then continue to do good. Now, I, I haven't kept a secret in my view of, of the end days, the last days. And, 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 and as you watch what are, is happening in our world, it's, it's almost like, according to the Revelation and others, there's, there's a, an intensifying, a moving of events that, that show that Jesus' coming is getting closer and closer. And, and the last days or the tribulation or those kind are increasing and, and escalating. And as we look at it, we will see this and experience it even more. During Peter's time, this would be seen and escalated as Nero turns on the Christians. You see, Nero burnt Rome to remodel it in his own image. And, and, and I was reading one historian this week who was saying, who was saying that the people tried to put out the fires and, and the Roman soldiers were ordered to come and stop them and drive them away and then spread more fires. The people became so enraged. They said, who decided to do this? Who's, who's responsible for this? And Nero stood up and said, 
It's the Christians. And a hatred percolated that would last 200, 300 years. Again and again and again as the Christian church was attacked. And Peter says, when you see that happening, I want you to rejoice. And I'm sitting back looking at this in my Bible and saying, rejoice. Praise God. But why? Peter gives us three reasons, and I want you to hold on to these reasons that I find rather fascinating. He says, if you are holding to God's values, to Jesus' truth, to the word of God, what will start to happen is God's glory will be revealed through you. Translate it. As people see you, as they talk to you, as, as, as you dialogue with them and walk with them and explain what you believe and why you believe and all of those things, God's glory or God's truth or God, God, God will radiate from you as you speak and they will see Jesus in your words and in your attitudes and in your presence. That you will literally radiate or glory, show the glory of God revealed coming through you. The, the second thing, and I find this quite fascinating, he says God's spirit will rest upon you. What translates that, what does that mean, Paul? That means as you speak, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who dwells in all who believe will, will work through you in his power and his might. Now, some of the words that you're going to say to the things of the, those of this world will make them more angry because they can't stand the light. They can't stand God's truth. On the other hand, they, they will experience the presence and the power of God coming through your words, coming through your love, coming through your presence in their life. And so they'll experience the presence of God. They'll experience the power of God and you will be given a title that you will bear their name. Now, here's a little footnote trivia in this passage that's really kind of fascinating. In, in the book of Acts, we start to see that in, in the, as the Christian church started to explode, they, they had different names that they gave each other. They, they called themselves the people of the way and, and different things. But eventually, as we go up to Antioch a city in Syria, um, the Christian church started to get ridiculed and, and they started to get mocked. And, and, and somebody thought up this word, let's call them Christians, Christ ones. And it became a, a, a kind of a mocking term. It, it, was, it was like, let's call them little Christ or little Jesuses. That, that's what Christian means, the little uh, Christ ones. And the Christians looked at this and said, yeah, that, that's not bad. Actually, I would like to be just like Christ. I, I would like to be his representative. I'd like people, when they experience me and see me and are with me, to, to say, You're, he's one of Christ or she's one of Christ. And they took the name on. Now you will find in the, in the New Testament the word Christian used three times. Twice in the book of Acts and once in this passage. Peter says, you're going to bear his name. You are Christ ones. You are Christian. You are Christ to these people. 
I want to ask you as you consider your journey in this world in this time with the relationships you have, you are going to have some people in your life that don't like you because you're a Christian. You're going to have others who, who, who love you as a son or a daughter or, or a friend or, or a co-worker, but this Christian thing bothers them a little bit. All of these people will be watching you. My prayer for you is this, that there will come a day when they will look at you and say, you know, I've watched you for a long time. I've watched how you've lived and reacted and all of those kind of things. And you remind me of Jesus. You act like him. When you speak, when you react, it's like Jesus would react. I, I don't know what greater compliment you can have. I, I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Book That Made Your World, and it's by a, an East Indian man out of India, uh, and I'll, I'll probably slaughter this. Ron can tell me how to pronounce it later. A, a man named Vishla Magalati. He's a social worker. He's a Christian uh, he comes. He comes out of out of high education, and and he and his wife Ruth started to see in the seventies India and how bad things have gotten. There was the caste system still kind of functioning there, and the really really high powerful people used and abused the incredibly poor, the, the those who had no value or no worth. They didn't care if they lived or died. They they would use them and abuse them and 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 reject them. And Vishla and, and his wife Ruth decided they were going to move into a community and they were going to transform it in the name of Jesus. They would help these people learn how to farm. They would help them learn how to do irrigation. They would help to learn how, how, how to cook properly and safely. They would, they would show them how to use herbs and everything for, medically so that they could get well again. And they, they would just try to raise these people and value these people and love these people in the name of Jesus. The rich and powerful hated them for this viciously hated them for this and sought to come against them and, and attack them in every way. Vishla was, was arrested and put in jail and what's his crime? And they didn't really have that and, and if you don't pack you, your bags up and you don't leave this place, we will do something terrible for you. And they, they threatened him and they, they, they abused him and eventually they had to release him for he had never done anything wrong. They would attack them. One day they went away for some meetings and uh, he had, he had his, his, his parents sit in, in, in the house and, and take care of their house. And, and these rich people hired two robbers to break into the house and, and they beat them up and they stole all of their money, both the, the present money and their future money. Uh, they, they viciously attacked a, a young girl that was staying there and then threatened him and left. Ishtan, Ruth stayed. And so, so these two robbers that had been used before were sent again, and they literally killed two members of his family. And they stayed. Until their whole world changed around them as Jesus allowed the love of Christ to transform 
those they met one by one, person by person, until their community was a new world to live in. There will be those who will hate us because of Jesus. Peter says, get ready for that. Bear my name, Jesus said. Allow my spirit to empower you and strengthen you and walk in you so that your words and your actions will bring the glory to God. Now, for you and I, very often it's like, so how do I do that? Like, how, how, how do I get practical? And Peter is a practical kind of guy. He's a fisherman. And so he puts into this passage four things that calls us to do, to show the love of Christ to others. He says, he says first of all, he says, love each other deeply. Now, under that is a phrase that many of you have heard and wondered where it came from. It comes from 1 Peter 4. Love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Well, let me suggest to you that, that you're not perfect. You say things wrong or do things wrong or mess up or drop the ball or do something. But as people see your heart, as they see your love for them, they can just forgive that and accept you and be drawn closer to you. Do you love others deeply? We live in a world that loves superficially. I want to love you until I've finished using you and then I'll throw you away. Love others deeply. He says, he says also, he says, offer hospitality to one another. And I kind of had to smile because he adds these words without grumbling. Now, I grew up in a pastor's home, and my mom and dad uh, just would have people stay overnight, you know. We, we lived on a highway, and guys would be hitchhiking, and they'd, they'd come and ha not have any food, and so they'd knock at the church door, and dad would, well, oh, come over to the house and eat with us, and, 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 then, and then they'd stay overnight, and then they'd be on their way. My remember, she, she made this, this loaf of, uh, took a whole loaf of bread and made sandwiches for this one guy, and, and he sat drinking tea and opened the sandwiches and ate them all up before actually he left. So she made another, another loaf of, of sandwiches for them. And that's what we do. And I used to grumble. Confession time. I didn't like people coming into my house, into my life. Offer hospitality to one another. Third thing he says is use whatever gifts you have to serve others. Do it with God's strength or God's power. What gifts has God given you? What abilities has he given you? Some of you can fix things. Some of you can build things. Some of you can walk beside people who are hurting and love them and, and counsel them. Some, some of you are good with numbers. Others are, are, are good with, with plants. Others, others you, you, can, you can help just by encouraging and be present in their life. How can you use your gifts to bless people in Jesus' name. The final thing, he says, speak. Use the very words of God. I remember some of the old guys I used to grow up with, um, and, and they would have grown up reading just the King James Bible, and, and every once in a while you'll hear in their prayers or in their language, suddenly these words would come out, which would be old King James words. And it would be just because it had been so incorporated into their life that they, when they talk, they talk God's word. Do you talk God's word? 
And, and, so, and so Peter says, Peter, you're going to be suffering. That's because you're a Christian. Just be all right with that and have the attitude of Christ. And, and, and this is how you're to do that. You're to love everyone deeply. You're to give them hospitality. You're to share your abilities and gifts with them. And you're always to speak God's truth. He closes with this verse. I find this a fascinating verse. So if you have suffered in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you for he will never fail you. Now there's a verse to think on. If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, otherwise if you're living for God's truth, if you're standing on God's word, he will never fail you. Now, as I started reading through this passage, I started reading, noticing something else about this, this passage that it, it kind of threw me to start with, but I don't know if you've ever seen a bunch of uh, rope made with different cords, and they'll wind the cords together, and, and sometimes you'll put a cord in there that's of a different color, and so you'll have the regular cords and then this one cord that's wound in between all of the others, and it's distinct and different, although it's part of. Well, actually... Peter does that. He is talking about suffering, but he takes this, the uh, term judgment and it, it, it's like he in, wraps it and winds it twi- throughout the, the, the whole conversation that he's having. And so I, I want you to hear this because judgment and suffering do go together in certain ways. And, and Peter is talking about you walking in suffering as a Christ-like person with his attitude, but he says, I I want you to understand that judgment is part of this conversation. Well, what does he mean? Well, listen to these words in in, in verses 5 and 6. He says, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So, what, what, what he's telling us is this. He's saying that there is going to come account a time in this world for everyone to give an account for what they have done, what they have said, or how they have lived. Now, this is the theme that you find throughout all of Scripture, that God is the righteous judge, and he will call all men, women, children to give account for how they have lived, what they have done, what they have not done. Now, let me divide it into kind of two kind of major groups. Because Peter actually implies that there's a, there's a time difference between the two. The first is what we would call the judgment seat of Christ. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and this judgment seat of Christ is the judgment of believers. Did you know believers would be judged? Some of you have been brought up with the, account, with the theology saying, well, no, no, Jesus forgives all of our sins. Well, we're not talking about your sins. We're, we're talking about the abilities, the gifting, the situations, the settings that Jesus has placed you in, how you have used what he has given you. And, and the idea is not that you'll be thrown out of God's kingdom or, or kept in God. The issue, you will be saved if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life. What it is is about rewards for eternity. 
And, and, and as you start to read the scriptures and start to see it, that, that as you come, you will be asked what you did with what you have been given. There, there are times in my life that I will say to the Lord, you know, I don't know why I was privileged to buy, grow up in Canada. I, I, I don't know why I was given the financial resources and a home and food and health. I look at others in other worlds, parts of the world, and they don't have that. Why, why did you choose me for that? And God's answer to that is, but how have you used what I have given you for my kingdom? The, the Bible will talk, and we, can, we could go deeper into this if, if you wanted at some time, talk about he will give you rewards. He will give you crowns. Now, these crowns are critically important because as you go through the book of Revelation, you will find that there comes a point where, where believers take their crowns and they will, they will place them at, at, at the feet of Jesus in praise and honor. But Paul talks about some that are saved as of onto fire. They, 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 they are saved. They get to go to heaven. They get to stay in eternity. But they walk into heaven and all that they, they have valued, all that they've spent their effort for, all of their energy and time has been for things of this earth that will perish and be burned up and destroyed. Are you living for that which is here and temporary or that which is eternal? Jesus said, I want you to put your treasure in heaven, not in the things of this earth, which rust and mold and fire and thieves destroy. And so there's this judgment that you and I are going to stand before Lord, the Lord and we are going to be asked, I have given you this, how have you used it for my kingdom and my sake? There's another judgment it will happen about approximately a thousand years after this event. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And it is the judgment of unbelievers. Those who defiantly refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's some who know all about the gospel. They can explain the gospel message and say, I, I, I just cho chose not to do it. I don't, I'll do it later. And then later ran out of time. There's others who have opposed God and defied his kingdom and they're the ones who are causing Christians to suffer. And God will throw them into judgment for he holds all people accountable. Now Peter turns to us and he says this in verse 17. For the time has come for judgment. Otherwise, there's going to come a very shortly a time when we as believers are going to be called to account. And it will first begin with God's household. Remember I said that? It starts first and then later the second judgment comes after the millennium. And if judgment begins with us, listen to Paul's words, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news. If God says, even my people must give account, what will happen to those who refuse? Does your heart move with that? Do you know people in this town or community who are on this side and awaiting that judgment rather than asking Jesus Christ into their heart and life? 
Peter looks at us and says, there is a season coming when you will give an account and then I will say, welcome to my heaven. Come and enjoy eternity with me. But there will be others who the opposite will take place. I never knew you. What terrible words. Peter finishes with this verse. The end of all things is near. And therefore be clear-minded. Be thinking accurately. Be self-controlled. Discipline your words and deeds so that they will glorify Jesus, not the things of this world. So that you can pray, so that you can talk to God day by day by day. When I was um, preparing, I came across a little book that I had read a long time ago. Now, you may know this name or you may not know this name. There was a missionary called David Livingston. Famous, famous missionary. At the time that he was in the missionary was the 1800s. And at that time, very few churches were sending out any missionaries. They, they, you know, if, they, they would say bizarre things like, if God wants those heathens to be saved, he will save them himself. And he doesn't need us to do it. And just bizarre things. But a movement started to happen in North America and Europe and Britain where individuals convicted said, how will they know if no one goes to tell them? And so they would go out and it would be very, very difficult. Many of them would die from disease and all kinds of things. David Livingston, as a little boy, was convicted and called to go as a missionary. His plan was to go to China, but God changed that plan, and eventually he went to Africa. Now, this is the 1800s. You've got to understand Africa at that time. If you take a map of Africa, and some of you can put in your heads how Africa is shaped, along the coast, they had mapped everything and all the cities and everything, and the colonialism thing was really big, and they had settled in, and all the places the colonials had settled in had, had brought missionaries and started missions among the natives there. And, but if you, if you look at this map, it would just be along the coastline, and there would be nothing inside. It was called Dark Africa. No one had been there. No one had drawn maps. No one, no one, no one knew what was there or how, what to do. David Livingston, a medical doctor, decided he was going to go into Africa. Shortly after he arrived at Africa, three convictions became very, very strong. First, we've got to get someone to map it so that we can send missionaries there so they know where to go. So someone has to map it. And then someone has to send missionaries and we start to, we need to build missionary stations all over that middle part of Africa where there's no gospel. And thirdly, the Arab, it had been discovered that the Arab people had been attacking all the coastline and, and all the inner parts of Africa, sla getting slaves for the slave trade. And, and they, would, they would pull them out. Hundreds of thousands of, of villages and, and people would be dragged away to die in slavery the rest of their lives. David Livingston said, we've got to stop that. 
And so he raised money in Britain and he got permission to go and to start to map everywhere out so the missionaries could follow. And then, and then legal things could follow and the slavery could be stopped. David Livingston only lived till he was 60 years old. His wife, who was committed to him and followed him, would eventually die in Africa. He would be gone so long that his children who lived in Britain would never really know their dad because he was always gone. But David Livingston would, would create a map of, of that inner part of Africa like no one had ever seen before. I was reading a story this week about him coming at the end of his life to Glasgow. The University of Glasgow had invited him in and, and they had, he was an old man by this time and, and, and he walked in and all the students kind of held their breath when they saw him. His, his skin was just burnt from the African sun. They didn't have sunshade or any of that kind of stuff. He just burnt. His, t his hair was white as, 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 just from the burning. He looked at his body. It was emancipated because he had caught so many diseases in Africa and almost died so many times, and he, he was like a skeleton walking. And on this side, he was totally paralyzed. He had been attacked by a wild lion, and it had, it had mauled his arm, and his arm just hung there. And this broken, emaciated little man walked into this large group who had come to see him. But no one saw the burnt skin. No one saw the frail body. No one saw the broken limb. They saw a man anointed by God. He would go back to Africa. He would die in Africa. About five years after he, would, he, he had died, his maps would go out and mission boards would send missionaries all into Africa as he had dreamed. And literally five years after that, the slave trade was stopped. But here is a man who said, I am going to suffer for Jesus. And I will choose to do that. And I will honor Jesus Christ. And I will give my life for him. And the world was changed. Do you know you and I can change this world? One person at a time. Peter says, it's not going to be easy. In fact, sometimes it's going to be hard for you will be attacked. But I need you to hear this. As you follow God obediently, his glory will be upon you. His spirit will empower you and you will bear his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is intense but it's also who you are. You've called us as a people to obey you and follow you wherever we go. I would ask that even today that those who've heard this message would be convicted. Let them 
see how they are walking in love. Let them use their gifts for here and beyond. Let them offer people hospitality, welcome them into their, their lives. Allow them to speak your word so that this world will be changed to become more like Jesus. And ask this in Jesus' name.